In this week's streaming audio, we're speaking to Amy Chen of DBT Labs, and I had great fun recording this one. Their perspective on the world we're all trying to get to is really interesting. Much like us over here at Confluent, they're deeply immersed in this idea of building data pipelines and thinking about all the different fronts on which you can try and improve that process. But we're each coming at it from very different beginnings. You could say that in the world of Apache Kafka, we started with programmers writing streaming code, and we're gradually moving into this space of making that more accessible for everyone. Whereas DBT seem to have started with making batch SQL jobs more accessible, and they're gradually moving into the world of streaming programmers. So same targets, but if we get Amy in, we can get a fresh perspective on how to get to those targets. And we ended up chatting about all sorts of things, covering things from effective testing strategies and what a modern data tool set should look like, to what we can do to improve people's workflow and access to data for everyone in the business. So as ever, this podcast is brought to you by Confluent Developer, and I'll tell you more about that at the end. But for now, I'm your host, Chris Jenkins. This is Streaming Audio. Let's get into it. Joining us today is Amy Chen. How are you doing, Amy? I'm good. Uh, so excited to be here today. It's good to have you. Um, it was You're one of the people on my hit list um, that did... Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> no, not, that sounds not violent. That it really does. <laughs> Let me put in the, you're, you're another one of my select guests from the um, panel we did at Current um, back in October 22. Um, yeah, we were that there was so fun. Few, it was fun, wasn't it? with a few cool people talking about batch versus streaming. And I thought, I've got to get you on to the show so we can talk about what's really going through your head. True. Um, as as long as I don't get too vendory, right? Yes, yes. You got. If anyone's not heard that episode, uh, you got into deep trouble for getting too sales pitchy. I almost had to throw I, you off the stage. I know. I'm so happy that in this situation, you really can't physically push me off the stage or take the mic from me, <laughs> which is, um, I'm not going to lie, don't want to be ever in that state. It, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's like a feudal state where you're just like, oh God, this is like amazing and also overwhelming and stressful to talk on stage where we haven't prepared anything. And yeah. uh, it's just the comfort zone is like, I know my tool. Yeah. Yeah. But is, is there a risk that if you put someone in front of a hundred people, put a spotlight on them and shove a microphone in their hand, they reveal who they truly are? <gasps> oh. You're a vendor shill, Amy. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I'm like, don't curse. Don't curse on this. Uh, okay. Especially because I my my marketing team has come to me multiple times saying, Amy, you need to stop cursing on things. <laughs> um, oh, I I hope that I don't I don't think this is like a like a drunken state where this is the real me. Um, I'm the reason why I'm very mindful about what I post on data Twitter is just because I know um, I can't, uh, sometimes my real feelings just really shouldn't be revealed on what actually is useful. <laughs> okay. That's, uh, that's going to get bit, a bit too psychologically deep in a moment. So let me talk about something else. You have a habit of posting on data Twitter, the acronym yeah. MDS. Yeah. Um, What's MDS? Why do I care? What's it about? So technically, it stands for Modern Data Stack. Um, and so uh, 
Linux, Lamp. Apache, uh, MySQL, <laughs> PHP. That's the modern day of stuff, course. right? Yeah. yeah, that's and Informatica and um, whatnot. Not Web-sphere. oh, oh goodness. Um, I, uh, I, it's still overall, as I've said multiple times, it's very much like a, a marketing scheme. Everyone uh, wants to be part of the modern data stack because that's like what's trendy now. You see a lot of graphs of like, no, I'm part of the modern data stack. No, I am, and then like. When you get to the point where, like, you just have diagrams that are on top of diagrams of claiming this is the modern data stack, I think it loses a lot of the umph. But like the the core value, the the leading principles that um, makes the the concept of being uh, called the modern data stack uh, tool is the idea that oh, you're easy to deploy, you're easy to maintain, and like you're accessible, which what tool doesn't want to call themselves that, right? Like that is how you make the money. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you you do get tools where they their clear priorities, their top values are speed or low cost of ownership. Or cost. Yeah, things yeah. like that. So yeah, I can see you would want some term as a rallying cry for ease of deployment, ease of use, that kind of thing. Yeah, ra- ra- cl- rallying cry. Cry! Wow, can't speak. Um, rallying is cry, rallying cry. I don't know why. <laughs> English is difficult, <laughs> um, but uh, the <laughs> the way I, I think about it is like it's it's exciting because it's like oh, okay, this this really pushes tools to think about like what kind of personas do you want using it? Do you want people who've had to train on it for ten years and become the experts of the field, which I'm not knocking any of those people. Like I have always aspired to be one of those people who are like in the weeds, they know everything versus Mm. something like, hey, I'm a data team of one. How do I pick up all the things and create a pipeline with a swipe of credit card? Like that is very attractive. And also in in terms of diversity is very exciting because more people can be part of this conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's it's nice to have a value that, absolutely puts the user in the in the core of the sentence mm-hmm. right like exactly you take a value like roi and the problem with that is the person who cares about it probably isn't the person that's actually using the software oh Whereas, 100% yeah but usability yeah. ease of deployment it's probably putting the user right in the center of the conversation yep i think what i post a lot about is with the modern data stack it's it's really a lot of people discount the developer time. They see the like time to production, uh, but they don't really, a lot of tools in the past and also business stakeholders have just traditionally not care about the quality of life that these users have. Because um, even if they're band-aiding something or they're waking up at 2 a.m. because some number is wrong, that's not usually captured very easily in a metric, right? Um, but the quality of life of if that person stays at the company um, is not as easily capturable. Like the fact that they're band-aiding something is not a pleasant experience and shouldn't be what we continue to support. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, I've, I've seen plenty of people in my career move jobs because they want to use a more pleasant tool set. Yes. For whatever yeah. their definition of pleasant is. This is probably my first ding of vendors, but like that's that's something I've noticed, uh, especially when I was consulting, was people legitimately also choose the tool stack itself for what uh, what company that they work at. And at this point, there are true folks that are advocates that just 
will not work for a company where they're still in the the legacy systems. Yeah, yeah. I've seen uh, someone make Jira their dividing line for a job. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I don't miss using Jira for data. I remember being tagged on so many Jira tickets, and it was rightfully painful. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I think I'm agnostic on bug trackers because I've worked in the past with a company where mm. their bug tracker was Excel. And <gasps> anything that's not Excel is, like, great. <laughs> You know, Excel has its moments, but I, uh, I'm i not going to lie. I've written project plans on Excel and been on calls where I'm like, did you do this thing? Did you do this thing? And it was uh, mind-numbing. Check this out. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because okay, people, so, there's no tracking. Sorry. <laughs> so let's, let's carry on into the idea of – so usability of tools that takes us naturally to your next acronym which is the tool you spend most of your time with i gather dbt yeah it's almost like uh, i work for the company but <laughs> yes um dbt used to stand for data build tool but uh our marketing department has nixed that so it's just <laughs> called dbt it <laughs> it's there should be a word for that for something that you, has ceased to be an acronym i think there is a word for that is there? Uh, yeah, I think I'm there sure is. I'm sure a brand marketer knows. There's this backronym for the reverse when you start <laughs> off with the word and get to the acronym. To the but, acronym. Uh, yeah. Mm. Anyway, so you're now just DBT, but what is a DBT? Yeah. I've never the, actually used it. Give me the crash course. Yeah. So the um, the the five second spiel is the um, it's a data transformation framework that essentially allows uh, data analysts to operate like with software engineers' best practices. Um, that essentially means what we're doing is you're still doing the transformation in, on top of your data platform, but we're providing that framework to actually make it more reusable and scalable. Um, very fancy words, but at the end of the day, it just means like, hey, we're now giving people who traditionally have not had access to Git version control, being able to easily automate testing and um, document things. Uh, we're, we're just giving it all in the same place so that they no longer have to just be forced to not have any or be able to like tape together a bunch of different open source tools that way. And we're also open source. Okay. So who's who's a yeah. typical user for that then? Is it the person that's currently sitting there importing things into their Excel spreadsheet? Um, the, the persona that we are going for is what we call the analytics engineer. And I would like to very keenly note that you don't have to use DBT to be an analytics engineer. Um, the goal here is that you have someone who's able to own more of the pipeline. They, they can handle enough of the extract and load, maybe using a off-the-shelf tooling like, say, Fivetran or Airbyte, um, handle the transformations, and do enough of the, uh, the BI side of things um, to make it ready for stakeholders to start jumping in on, say, self-service BI. Okay. So somebody who, uh, I can think of an example in our, in our organization, someone who is trying to gather all the YouTube watch metrics for the different videos Confluent publishes, grab them out of Google's API, stick them yep. somewhere and turn it into a report. Is that the kind of thing? Yes, you do? exactly. That's that's the kind of the workflow that we're after. Is um, that person is going to be responsible for making sure that that YouTube data gets into the data warehouse itself, and then uh, can handle the the very usual transformations and denormalization. And then 
get that into the uh, downstream tool of choice. Right. And they're not non-technical, but they're not developers either And in, in that mid-ground. Well, we do call them developers because I, I think it is um, – developer is a little bit of a – what is it? Um, spicy term in some ways. I know, uh, <laughs> right? Because like there's yeah. a lot of, oh, SQL is not a real language. There's a <gasps> lot of that. And we don't, we don't want to live in the world that um, people are very like – gatekeeping, right? We would want to acknowledge that people with business who have the business logic should be able to own the business logic and actually write the transformations without having to go poke at, say, their uh, their devs to, hey, can I get access to the stream? Can you write this transformation for me? Right. Yeah. I think I could be accused of that one a bit. I, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm of the of the level where I won't I don't care which editor you use, but I expect you to have a, a, a strong opinion about the one you do use. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, yeah. um, but I don't care. Like, I don't care about your interface. I just care about, like, are you able to do this with, like, the right set of best practices? I don't even care about, like, what is your SQL uh, format. I'm sure um, I'm ready for the DBT community to come after me for this. But um, <laughs> it's very much like, do you really uh, – and I had this conversation with um, one of my partner engineers this morning is what is DBT tonic? Like a lot of people know that there is, we have like a best practice in how we, in our SQL guide. But at the end of the day, I just want to make sure that you're thinking about your code and making sure that like you're very intentional about how you're uh, handling your um, modeling. Is it is it aligned across the board in the entire project? Are you actually testing and making sure it's of quality? And that anyone jumping into your project actually knows what the f they're doing. Like it doesn't take like <gasps> a month swore. to onboard to your. Oh no! Yeah, first ding. <laughs> Let's try. Okay, no. you, you, you get three strikes. Okay, and I get we just one. Strike you from the record, right? Sorry, okay, I interrupted fair. you for the census. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> uh, this is in the courting now. I apologize to everyone who was offended by that, but uh, I'll do my best. I will write down no curse words. Um, okay, but like so what with. What we're doing is yeah. taking to the developers this some of the things that we take for granted as like programming mm -hmm. developers, like version control, yeah. testability, shareability. Exactly. How do you actually do that in practice? And yeah. So essentially, someone will use either DBT Cloud, which is our um, SaaS offering, or they can do it on the command line. They're connecting to their data platform of choice and um, connecting to their Git repo. I don't care what your provider is. Um, and then they're starting to write code. They're going to check out a branch just like a dev would and uh, work in their own development uh, sandbox and then develop. And when they're ready to merge in the code, they're going to open a pull request and uh, ask for approval, run CI CD jobs, uh, and then merge that in. So very much like what developers have traditionally been used to. But mm. in terms of analytics, this is pretty advanced from where we're coming from, where there's been a lot of GUI based or like using just pure airflow for transformations, which have not just traditionally been accessible to an analyst persona. Right. But how do you get people? I can see that persona saying, what's a pull request? What's Git? Why do I care about versioning? I only care about the modern one. Can I just save it to a file called .back? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> so how not do you get lie. them into that world? That's, that's the fun part. So there's different ways. Um, I would also like to say Git is 
I think get enough to be dangerous is actually not that difficult. So, um, but we also do provide a lot of handholding if that concerns you. Um, obviously, with our SaaS offering, we have that guided like Git flow. You just click a button and then you can open up a pull request. But we also have a lot of documentation where you need to know enough about Git to be powerful. So we've written a bunch of blog posts on this is how to write a good pull request. Um, Early on when I joined the company, I didn't know Git either. I uh, basically complained that how do I know what's good for a pull request? Like how do I make sure I write the right amount of documentation for my um, approver? So what we did mm. was just open up a uh, pull request template. We we designed that. And then now it's part of uh, a lot of our documentation. And a lot of people take that same one or alter it um, and put it in their own projects. So it's kind of guidance with the right amount of um with the right amount of handholding i also will note we actually i think the majority of our uh community do still identify as data engineers so they're not they're not going into this blind um right they they have the the they have been so sweet to also train a lot of folks in and answering people about get questions like our community is the warm and fuzzy that I love. It's like, cause right. It's a little intimidating to enter in this new mindset with all these different tools you have to know about, like what is the command line? What is Git? And yeah. outside of what we can facilitate, people are one-on-one -on -one helping people and answering questions on like, Hey, this is the best way to arrange a project. This is uh, the best way to um, manage your Git branches even. Yeah. Yeah. And I find the almost trickier thing is, do you get the, how do you convince people they care what their branches are? You know, it's not, it's not I, just the how, it's the what matters. Yeah, um, I know, I, th I think you would, uh, the, the word tech debt probably strikes fear in you, but obviously <laughs> um, in some folks it's a little bit new. Um, I, I kind of try to balance it a lot out when I'm thinking about it, because in some ways, if you're a data team of one, there is literally no one else who knows anything about that. Obviously, you're going to work a little bit differently uh, where you might have to merge into production because you're literally the only person checking. But mm. at least you're setting down the foundation. Um, but obviously, as you get bigger... I don't think folks really need that convincing because they've been burned so many times by different tools. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, uh, you start to believe in backups after you've lost your first data set, right? Yep. Is, is you basically, when you accidentally drop a table and you realize, oh God, like I now need <laughs> to recreate this, uh, you, you kind of know the burn. You also, I don't know about you, but... Um, when I started with auditing, it was very much copy some a subset of the data into a Google Sheets, then compare it to what I believe the data should look like, and like <laughs> yeah. writing some terrible. I fully admit I am not the best at VLOOKUP, and I definitely wrote some terrible VLOOKUPs to make sure that things <laughs> uh, were aligned. And after you've been burned from that, like I think you you start to see a little bit of like oh. I could have a better life just by putting in these better practices and kind of start building up the muscle and training yourself to do do it in this process. Okay. So what, yet again in programming, the uh, motivator <laughs> is pain, and then we go looking for yeah. good solutions. We are trauma bonded in how terrible <laughs> some things have yeah. been in our lives. Um, after nice you've had of... to... Oh, oh sorry, on. go. 
No, um, some nice I thing. think <laughs> rock, paper, twice. scissors. Yeah. Go. You go first. You go. You're the guest. You're the guest. You go. Oh, goodness. You're too kind. I, um, the, the, the key thing I was going to say is I think after you've had to debug like a really heavily nested subquery of 800 line, like with mm. multiple 800 lines, that's when I feel like this is when we generally jump in really well. And it's like, look, you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can, we can lead you to a better land. Now you know what the dry, arid desert looks like. <laughs> there is an oasis over there just follow the 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 not yellow brick road the orange brick road when you say oasis and that gives me a lovely segue into streaming Mm. yes (laughs) so water you're mostly or your history at dbt right it's mostly batched load a big chunk of data from somewhere sql the heck out of it and then Mm -hmm. send it somewhere but how does that fit into our streaming world yeah, I think historically we have been also limited in what we run. At the end of the day, we are a a SQL parser and compiler, right? Like our limitations are what the platforms we sit upon's limitations. Like we can't execute any SQL if you can't do that. But um I think times are changing. Uh obviously with SQL first um platforms like materialize, but also just like traditionally batch-based ones like Snowflake and Databricks, they're starting to kind of see that light, which also gives us, we get to kind of hop on and continue on and kind of develop where that uh, that space can go towards. So what does that mean in practice? Is that you're just, if, so, if one of your, the things you connect to support streaming mm-hmm. and SQL, you can compile to it and just you're just magically safe from uh, from having to think uh, about any major differences? Is that what you're saying? No. Uh, I think there is still going to be a mindset shift because what does it mean to actually have a DAG that has both batch and streaming um, pipelines on it? Obviously, mm. I know uh, we can also debate on a streaming only system, but like I, I like to look <laughs> at the complex world of like, at the end of the day, you're not going to very quickly migrate everything over from batch to streaming, right? Right. Especially if we end up in the ideal state where everything is easy. But I think it really does change up how we think about testing and um, even running. The idea that you can run something once, create the object, and it's ready to go constantly is very powerful. And I, I, someone on data Twitter recently posted like predictions of 2023, um, orchestration becomes a key component. And I I find that really funny because I I've lived in the world where orchestration has always been very, very prevalent in the problem of managing a pipeline. And I want to live in the world where I don't have to care. I want to just make sure everything is up to date and is ready to go. So like I think it's very compelling to have all your data transformations in one place and then execute and you're good to go. And then on top of that, being able to test automatically and very modularly. Um, From what I've learned uh, from speaking to other folks who've been in the streaming space, uh, tests are a little bit brittle. They're They're not easily shareable, but like I'm very excited about what Materialize has written about, which is test unit testing using dbt tests which is just using the same out of the box configurations but being mm. able to constantly check to make sure hey 
something's going on, you can just send an alert on this tape, this materialized view. And, but that doesn't actually require a lot of mindset shift. It just is a reminder like, hey, you need to know how to do this. And then you're still good to go. It's the same concepts. What does that actually involve? Yeah. Um, so they, uh, to break it down, um, they're using two of our core functionalities, obviously, to being able to create the, uh, to create the materialized view that has the transformation in it, as well as materialize the, t- uh, the test results. And then he uses a configuration called store failures. Um, that in a batch-based world is when you uh, execute a test, it will create a table inside of the data platform that has all the failed rows. Um, they have changed it a little bit for their adapter and essentially made it so that it materializes as a materialized view. So it's always up to date and always running. So that test is actually just running concurrently with the materialized view itself. And then because they have alerting on top of the materialized view, um, you're able to then uh, make sure that, okay, anytime there's a new row added in, there's a a difference, there's something going wrong with your uh, data assumptions. Okay, so you've got a real-time stream on the succeeding or failing tests. Exactly, with okay. only one additional configuration. That's, that's interesting. I've not really, I think we're only just beginning to think about testing in the streaming world, and I'd not thought of doing mm-hmm. that. But it's also, I think we might need to rethink the testing model, because there's something yeah. inherent about the way we do unit testing that says, You've got this bunch of data, you run this code over it, and you get another bunch of data out, and it's it's inherently batched the way we do unit testing. Yep. Small batches. Because you're, you're but- essentially comparing, like, this is the assumption, but that's not as powerful because, especially with streaming, your data is always changing. There's uh, There's always new ones to test. And I think this is why the simplicity of this approach is so exciting to stare at because you can now do data quality tests um, in a way that is actually scalable without constantly, hey, take a piece of this. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Do you, so do you think, you've mentioned um, the whole coexistence of batch and streaming, right? And that makes me think about the Lambda architecture, which we've talked about before. Yeah. Which is which kind of assumed that batch and streaming would always be together. And mm. is that the future you think we're heading towards, where they are naturally always part of the solution? I think the long I don't know what the middle long term is, right? Like I think where we're stated into, we have to land right there. Um, and that is kind of more of the make it or break it moment. I, I I don't, I can't have better phrasing for that, but like streaming needs to become more accessible and almost just off the shelf as batches. And I think to do that, we need uh, to essentially share our, our, there's a lot of great principles that come from streaming that batch have not been so great at because it's been a little bit too easy almost. Um, and I think we have a, I think performance optimization and cost optimization in streaming, because it's already so cost uh, sensitive, um, I think we can definitely take principles from there and how we handle uh, incremental models, how we think about like what to update. And that's really powerful. And we can definitely learn from that. I'm not opposed to the world where 
which I think is a little bit far down given the technologies that we have today, um, to having a streaming one. Because as we've all iterated, if you can have everything up to date and it's fresh and it's easy, why wouldn't you? And I, I want to live in that world. I also want to like care less about like my, if I was an analyst or a data engineer, my performance uh, reviews aren't going to be how well I orchestrate something, right? (laughs) It's not going to be like, oh, I managed to do this pipeline. But like, if my streams are always up to date and it's actually tested by my uh, business stakeholders, well, why would you not be there? Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, the people you're serving care more about the data being fast and high quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's always this thing where you can't dismiss the way it's done under the hood. The users can. Mm-hmm. It's our job to worry about that for them, right? Exactly. And that's kind of where we kind of go for a circle to the modern data stack, right? Like streaming should be 100% part of the modern data stack. Um, the pain points that we've just had is it's still so early to call. And like, I fully admit there are ones in the diagrams and I agree, but I, I want to push that. I want to push to see like, can we have more? Can we have it better and cheaper? Right. So if I'm not putting words in your mouth here, (laughs) you can see us getting to an all streaming world or a predominantly streaming world. And your bigger question is what's stopping us getting there? Yeah, I think it'll be, obviously there's still more best practice to be developed. There's going to be a duel it out to see which tool comes on top. And my hope (laughs) is the tools that come up on top are going to be the ones that really think about their user experience. And mm. like not uh, my my straw man is uh, Bob, who uh, at my old company owned everything. When he retired, we hired him as a consultant. I don't <laughs> I don't want tools uh, to subscribe to that persona, making sure oh you just have to be really smart to do this thing, mm. right? Like you yeah. have to be smart, but you also have to be efficient with your time. Yes, but you. <laughs> So I totally agree with that. And I suspect the most user-friendly tools will win because they tend to. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. But there's always (laughs) this tension, and I'm going to avoid mentioning specific technologies here, but there's always this tension where you get some open source projects that launch Mm. and they are clearly more user-friendly and they are clearly broken and they win the race by being more user-friendly and then try and patch themselves back up as they bought some runway. Yep. Uh, and that always feels icky. Can we not just get it user-friendly and fundamentally correct? Do we have any hope of being that sensible? I uh, am avoiding also just calling anyone out, but <laughs> I, I agree. Like, I wonder if we're thinking uh, of the same people. We probably are, and that's okay. Yes. Um, but we just won't say it on this podcast. <laughs> um, in Twitter DMs. Um, yeah. But yes, I... I that's kind of why I'm extremely hesitant in some ways, because in some, it, it's all about like the right dominoes falling. Um, because like at the end of the day, we live in a capitalist society. There are people who are trying to gonna expand and try to get more of the surface area and they have the money to back it. And that, that can be a little bit intense. Um, mm. But I also do believe like you shouldn't discount that. Like, there is still a better quality of life if we all go towards the same principles, even if someone's winning. At the end of the day, if you become the standard, people are going to be 
adopting your principles as well to say, hey, we have that too. So it's not necessarily the worst having a f- just a few choices, right? Like it, it's good to have competitors, but at the end of the day, as long as we all agree, like this is what our users want, I think mm. I think we'll be fine. Maybe I'm reading a fairy tale here. Oh yeah, I think the moment you said getting our users to agree, uh, I think you lost oh, me. <laughs> not so much getting. I, I think it's more users know how they want to work, and but this is not to say we're only subscribing to one user pool, right? There are mm. potential users that will have fundamentally different feedback, and those are important to take into account. And I think that's why. Um, I often cheer for the open source tools a lot, specifically because they have that very quick user feedback loop and that trust. Yeah, yeah. And they know that they have a direct relationship with the people who are going to use their tools usually, and that usually helps the feedback loop. And if they hate it, they'll open a PR. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And sometimes expect you to work for free to solve their particular problem, but let's not get into that either. (laughs) But okay, so so coming from another perspective, uh, as you yep. work in a predominantly batch world, I work in a predominantly streaming world. Give me mm-hmm. your critical eye. What from that modern data stack value perspective? What are we in the Kafka world doing wrong, or could do better, or should be doing? Yep. Yeah, I I think modularity is one of my my pain points. Um, is at least from what I've seen. Obviously, I have a limited view. I have not worked on many streaming uh, use cases for in my consulting days. Um, mm. But I find a lot of streaming pipelines extremely brittle because it's like, oh, you you shape this for just this particular use case, and but like it's hard to pull code from that to reuse it for the the bigger picture. Um, it's the I think it's the custom code aspect is where I um, want to push folks in the streaming world to start thinking about like. Okay. I think I could level that criticism at a lot of SQL queries in the batch world. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference? What am I missing? I think it's, I think at the end of the day, it's we're aware of it and we are. Then again, I'm not, that that might be a, a mistake, a ding against me, where I'm like, you folks are probably aware of this problem as well as your pipelines also break. Um, I think in some ways we have the tooling to assist with that and make it a lot easier. Obviously, DBT being one of them, but um, jumping in with other analytics engineering tooling, there's just more growth in time in terms of how to be mindful t- and how to take care of that tech debt. Well, tell me how it works, because doesn't uh, DBT's approach to SQL have something of modularity built into it? I, I, we do. Um, yeah, so because we we believe a, uh, a DBT model, which is also referenced as a data model in this case, uh, is is just a single select statement. And then because we can take care of that lineage for you, um, specifically from just using a ref function, uh, we are able to then build that out. And then you write in one place. If you need to change it, you change it in one place. But you can reference it down the line. When you don't accidentally lose sight of what has already been built, especially when it's very easily visualized, 
um, it makes it a lot easier to understand when you're going down the deck, when you're looking for technical debt and performance to know, hey, I, sh- I can fix that one key point rather than having to look at that 800 lines of SQL statement. Right. So it's it, looking at the, you can break it into sub queries and sub steps mm-hmm. and see the whole pipeline. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then if that code's already been written, you can reuse it for another pipeline. And I think that's one of my pain points of like folks who only work in notebooks. They um, they can't, they only see a subset of the pipelines. I can see the entire global pipeline essentially. Yeah. Like all the pipelines yeah. together. Yeah. That's something we, we have been working on more and more over mm-hmm. here. It's interesting that we're both arriving at the same kinds of problems from what feel like very different approaches to data. I, I actually don't think it's surprising because uh, the joke here is data is always messy. And it, it's a lot, right? Like at the end of the day, it's it's just as much of data is hard, but also it's a workflow issue and having the right um, tooling, but also keeping in mind what, you're, what you actually care about. Um, this is why I say like tools aren't part of your solution. Like they're, they're not going to take care of everything. They're part of the solution. Um, mm. Because at the end of the day, if you care about that, if you care about the fact that your your pipelines are desperate and like not you you can't tell what that team over there is doing, then that's actually you can solve it with a tool, but there's also like you can solve it with communication as well. Yeah, yeah, that sort of relates into this idea that we talk a lot about of data mesh, where yes. it's partly partly worrying about your data quality. It's partly a social change of mindset Mm -hmm. as well as the tooling yeah 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 so um last chance to pitch dbt Uh, is there anything we can learn about data testing that we should be picking up from you yeah um in terms of data testing i i kind of break it down into two things you should be able to test at every single step of your process while you're developing, while you're in a CI/CD process, especially for analytics and even in production all the time. But what actually makes that accessible is knowing uh, how to write a test in one time and then being able to apply it very easily. Uh, That's why our tests are just as modular and also written in SQL, which means that... Oh, tests uh, written in SQL. It is, I know, the SQL uh, train continues, but <laughs> it's the idea that like your bit, your analysts know what is what can go wrong with the data. They they know when there is a bad number, so they're able to actually write the right tests uh, to test those assumptions to make sure that that is always up to date. Okay, so you're sort of doing like property based testing where you say if where where value is less than zero and that's yep. your selecting an errors exactly that's yeah, yeah, uh we yeah. have where statements we also check um to make sure that there's no nulls your primary keys are aligned you're not having the dreaded fan fan out but we also have folks who are using tests to do other things to test before you build so you're you're not snowballing your uh the the failure and also to apply constraints so making mm. sure that like, hey, this should meet this particular uh, primary key constraint or something like that. And we have packages there um, if you don't want to write it yourself either. Okay, let's check this out. It does make me think that there's some kind of better relationship 
for testing. Unit testing yeah. feels very batchy. SQL and maybe property testing feel somehow naturally more akin to streaming. That's something to look into I, another day. I would say both are very relevant. There's obviously there's assumptions you can't easily write. And so I want to live in a world where both are just as accessible and you can just pick things off the shelf t- to use as you like. Uh, I think that's why my my concern also with just being very vendory is I, I want us to get away from this idea of like tools dominate the best practices. It should really be like the best practices and the tools follow after. Yeah. Yeah, the trouble with that though is we're it doesn't um, really often, work. We're yeah. in a place of exploration where we've got to figure mm-hmm. out the best practices while we're build, building the tools at the same time. Exactly. Yeah, nice. it's it's not how it works out, but um, I think as long as people keep in mind that that is how it should work, um, it's still meaningful. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I think I think I'm gonna um, make this the last question I have for you. Um, Go for it. Again, looking to the future, what should we be watching? What's on your radar? What are you watching for in the, in the industry? Yeah, um, I'm definitely uh, seeing where we can where Python fits into our story because obviously uh, we just launched it at Coalesce, so I'm interested oh, in yeah. seeing um, how we if, how the world decides to push uh, what you can do in DBT with Python. Um, obviously, the semantic layer and metrics layer really is top of mind for me, but. At the end of the day, I'm just excited to see where DBT can go in streaming. Okay. Well, we'll have to keep watching the skies for that. (laughs) Yes. We'll we'll look over there. And then as uh, we do that, we'll debate about Marvel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And when we finally get there, we'll say that we could see the uh, inevitable tracks in the snow when we were here. Yes. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. We'll feel prescient by the time we finally figure out what's happening. Hopefully it's in our lifetime. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. Hopefully we get some solutions in this industry in our lifetime. Oh, goodness. Amy, (laughs) pleasure to talk to you. We'll catch you again. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. It was lovely. Well, that was fun and a semi-hopeful note to end on. And now I think Amy and I will return to our side conversation debating Marvel Comics. If you're interested, the topic currently under discussion is Could Squirrel Girl Kill Deadpool? There's probably another podcast out there for that kind of conversation. Maybe we should go and find it. In the meantime, if you want to hear more from Amy, they were part of a panel discussion we recorded in Austin, Texas, not too long ago. We'll put a link to that episode in the show notes, or you can just scroll back a few podcasts to the episode called If Streaming is the Answer, Why Are We Still Doing Batch? If you want to find all the back episodes of this podcast and vastly more about the world of event streaming and Apache Kafka, then check out our developer site, developer.confluent.io, for free courses, blog posts, and guides on how to build a modern streaming pipeline effectively. And if you've built your effective modern streaming pipeline and you need a place to run it, head to confluent.cloud, where you can spin up a professionally managed Kafka cluster in minutes. And if you add the code podcast100 to your account, you'll get $100 of extra free credit to run with. And with that, it remains for me to thank Amy Chen for joining us and you for listening. I've been your host, Chris Jenkins, and I will catch you next time. 